Welcome to Documentary First, an inside look at a first-time filmmaker's journey. I'm your host, Josh Lindsay from the Movie Proposal Podcast. And with us is our first-time filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Hello, hey, Christian. Josh. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. You've got some uh, American flag earrings. Is that oh, yes. As always, it's almost 4th of July as we record today. So today is Wednesday, Thursday, actually. So 4th of July is in a couple of days. I got to start the celebrations early. When you right. are the girl who wore freedom. Right. <laughs> and with us, as always, but unpatriotic looking, Jason Rugg. Hey there. Hello. Hey, Jason. <laughs> And again, we have another guest, brand new to the Girl War Freedom. Uh, what do you say, Girl War Freedom publicist, Morgan Harris from Acacia Consulting. Welcome, Morgan. Hi, thank you for having me. Hi, Morgan. Hi. We're, we are excited to learn about Morgan and what he'll be doing. Um, but first, we need some film updates. Christian, what's going on in the world of the Girl Who War Freedom? Yeah, it's been a rough week, I have to say. I uh, wish I could give you some good news, but you know, this is the life of a first-time filmmaker, so I got to be honest with you. Uh, in the last 24 hours, I experienced a lot of rejection. Uh, I was sort of saying this earlier, it's it's now not going to be uncommon for us to be rejected from film festivals. In fact, we will be rejected from more than we will be accepted into. And uh, especially when you submit to 100 <laughs> all over the world, it's, there's going to be more rejections. And I recognize that. But to get like four of them in a 24-hour period is really a lot. It's overwhelming. And it, um, we got uh, turned down this week. Last week, it was the Hamilton Film Festival in New York, which was a surprise because it's a smaller film festival and more like what my base would want to watch, I thought. Um, and then yesterday, we heard from the Skyline Indie Film Fest, which is in Winchester, Virginia, which I also thought we had a really good chance at because it's, you know, sort of my target audience and area. Um, and we did not get uh, in there. We did not. And then, and then the most disappointing of all was the Breckenridge Film Fest. Breckfast is a big film festival. It's been around for a lot of years. It is challenging to get into. But uh, David uh, Patterson uh, had his film there. And we got a waiver to get in. And so I thought maybe we had a good chance there. And then we also heard from... Um, the Melbourne International Film Festival. They're doing a strange thing this year. They initially told us they were postponing all the way till next year. Then they decided they were going to have a hybrid festival, calling it instead of their 69th edition, they're going to call it their 68 and a half edition that's all online that is this uh, year. And we did not get accepted for that, though they did tell us they will keep us in consideration for their full film festival next year. So there was that. Uh, and the good news for today, you know, with the bad news, it's always a little bit of good news, was that we heard from Miv Evans at the Trailer Film Festival. The Trailer Film Festival was something I submitted to on a whim. We did get in. And the Trailer Film Festival uh, gives these trailers to curated um, distributors, sales agents, and uh, production companies. And we had, we've so far had two responses to, to that. And today we got our third uh, 
acquisition executive wanting to see the film. And Miv herself watched it. She's a critic in LA and she said, it was a really great film and this is a wonderful time for a film like this. And I really have no notes for you. So that was encouraging today. So there's that. And then we've been working with Morgan. So we'll let you talk about what he's been doing this week. Uh, that gives us something positive to focus on. Yeah, before we jump into Morgan, we're coming, we're coming to you, Morgan, I promise. Yeah, I, I to challenge Christian on, yes, I, I think it's normal for a first-time filmmaker to face a lot of rejection. But I think it's normal for most any filmmakers to face rejection. Yeah. So whether this is your third or fourth or fifth film, Unless you're, you know, David Fincher, Spielberg, it, you know, you, you, it, I don't think it's ever going to be an easy road. And second, you know, this podcast is telling a story. It's telling your story of making this film. Nobody wants a story where everything goes right. <laughs> right. So this has been a great story. So keep it up, Christian. You're doing Thank great. You. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate the encouragement. You know, it reminds me of Ken Burns and his, his stories about how hard it's been and continues to be for him to make each documentary to sell it it's not it's not always necessarily guaranteed ever with who he is and what he's done so that's a good point to for me to remember for sure but to help you get some wins you brought on a new publicist i did so so morgan we've got big expectations from you buddy <laughs> uh, we would love to hear first just about you. So Morgan, before we jump into what a publicist does, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, so yeah, my name is Morgan Harris. Uh, I have been in publicity, specifically in entertainment publicity, for about 20 years, uh, working for agencies in the Midwest primarily. Um, and my clients have included uh, gigantic studios, Warner Brothers, Disney, Paramount, uh, all the way to independent first-time directors who don't have a studio backing at all and everything in between. Um, currently, uh, as you said, I'm, I'm at Acacia Consulting Group, which I started with two partners uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, since then, we've we've brought on the kinds of studios, the kind of project, projects that we want to work on. Uh, that's kind of the luxury of having your own consultancy instead of having to do what your boss says. Um, and so our, our current clients right now, you know, we've done a lot of work with IFC films. We've done some work with Showtime documentaries, uh, with Netflix. Uh, and now uh, we're obviously working with Christian on The Girl Who Wore Freedom. Um, and so it's, it's been an exciting uh, ride kind of creating, getting to, getting to build the kind of film portfolio that we are interested in films that actually have a, a story and, and uh, a message that resonates. So, Yeah. When I first met Morgan and he came recommended to me by Betsy Steinberg, uh, who used to be the head of the Illinois film office. She herself is a, an award-winning filmmaker. Um, she's just a great lady. She recommended Morgan and I, I always talk, you know, whenever I talk to people about being involved with this film, it's very important to me that they we don't just hire them to do a job or we don't just ask them to volunteer to do a job. We really want them to feel passionate about the story that we're telling. And so I had Morgan watch the film first and uh, he had a positive uh, review, right, Morgan? Yeah, absolutely. And, and as I told Christian at the time, uh, right after I saw the film, you know, it's, I have no attention span anymore. Like the last four years especially have just been so crazy that it's just like, 
I, I can't sit and watch something without being on my phone, without needing uh, external stimulus. And so I sat down to watch uh, The Girl Who Wore Freedom and, you know, had my phone clutched in my hand. My hand, like, naturally, like, curls like this when it's not holding my phone. Uh, so, so you know, was was scrolling through Twitter and started, you know, like, watching the film. And, you know, 80 minutes later, uh, you know, I, I started crying twice. <laughs> I, uh, you know, my phone was ignored. Um, and it was really uh, a pretty rare occurrence for me to be able to focus in um, on on something in that mindset. Uh, so that's immediately where I was just like, okay, you know, like, I really want to work on this. And I was texting my two partners too at the same, because they were watching the film in their respective homes, because of course, we're all socially distancing. Um, and uh, it was just like texting them throughout it, just being like, you know, are you guys like having the same reaction? Uh, and, and yes. So, um, so we knew that, you know, it was a film that, that had a spark that we wanted to, to promote and help, you know, tell people about. So, which is. Yeah. Uh, and it's super important for us that, you, that the people representing and saying, hey, you should watch this feel that way about the film, I thought. So when we found out that they felt that way, and I listened to Morgan about his view of how a publicist really should market a film, which is, he can talk more about what his job is. I really loved his vision. It's, uh, I think it's a little bit different. It's outside the box, and I liked his outside the box thinking. So talk a little bit about that, Morgan. Yeah, well, First, to an earlier point about publicists, when, when somebody says, I really want you to watch this film, uh, and, and they having, them having to believe it, uh, something that I've taught publicists uh, you know, throughout my career has been, you cannot lie to the press. Like, if, if you tell somebody that you are personally endorsing a film, you've got to be able to back it up. Otherwise, your reputation, they're never going to listen to you again. Uh, so there's pl plenty of films that I've worked on where, you know, a critic or a reporter will call and say, you know, what did you think of the film? You know, and say, well, it had an excellent running time. Like the sound <laughs> mix was perfect. <laughs> the thickness of the film was right on point. Uh, you know, but but it's it's rare, you know, like the ones that I'm actually saying like, no, 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 I really liked this movie. I truly did like the movie if I'm saying that to somebody because I, I want you know, my own credibility to, to survive <laughs> and like be, uh, and that's also how those relationships with press are formed where now I always say to, to new clients who've never worked with a publicist before, um, publicists cannot guarantee coverage. We cannot guarantee results because we're not newspaper editors or publishers. Uh, we're not news producers, but what we can do is guarantee that reporters will open the email and, and read the pitch and read about the, the whatever's being talked about so that they can make that decision. And, and that's the value of bringing on a publicist. We um, put you, the, the, the project, in the best possible position to get some attention and some coverage. Uh, and that's, that's kind of the broad um, umbrella of, of what a publicist should be doing. Uh, I think what, what Christian mentioned about our approach to this film, um, when people are uh, siloed in their own bubbles, you start to, for the trap of only talk to people who already agree with you or are already paying attention to you. And that doesn't grow your audience. And so whether we're working with a, a film project or a politician, 
The goal is always to reach people who would be interested in the subject matter if they knew about it, but they're not following traditional uh, media that is that is focused on that subject matter. For example, for film, for, for this film, we want to get it in front of um, politics reporters. We want to get it in front of uh, people who are reporting about women in the workplace because Christian, you know, is a first-time director, is a, is a woman, and that's, um, you know, it, so, so they're not the same people that are reading the entertainment section every week. Uh, the people that are reading the entertainment section every week, we absolutely want to be in front of them as well, but we recognize that they've already made up their mind about what they're going to be seeing, what kinds of film they're interested in, uh, you know, all of those kinds of decisions that consumers are making. Um, they're just reading along to, uh, to follow the, the industry and to follow the culture, which is certainly valuable. But again, it's not bringing anybody new into the fold. And that's our, that's our underlying goal. So, uh- as you come up with a strategy to reach political reporters, um, I, I don't know how you'd say it, women's groups or whatever that might be interested in learning about Christian, um, how do you do that? I mean, are you just emailing people? Do you have yeah. contact? What do you do? Yeah, I mean, well, I will say it's it's a little more challenging in the age of, of COVID uh, because, you know, we have everyone's work numbers, but no one's at their desk. Uh, so phone calls become a little more cha- challenging. Uh, so yeah, it is, it is a lot of emailing and, and a lot of relationship building and, and researching. I mean, the first thing, the, the biggest mistake a publicist makes is pitching on blast a whole group of people or, or an individual reporter without knowing what that person covers. Um, the number of times uh, you know, reporters get hit with a, you know, oh, I saw you did a story about hot sauce. I would like to get my hot sauce uh, client included. Well, you, you, we just did that story. We're not doing that story again. We did it last week. We're not doing it this week. Like, pay attention, you know, like, uh, or, or pitching um, stories to reporters who don't cover the beat at all. Um, and that, that actually becomes kind of a fine line with film because, uh, there are internal politics at, at any news organization, just like in any company, um, where people have their responsibilities and they don't like when their responsibilities get encroached upon. So if we have a film and we want to reach out to the political editor and say, this is a political film, you should, you should really watch this film, we also at the same time want to be looping in the film team and the entertainment critic and saying, look, we're not stepping on your toes. This just, uh, this just crosses a couple of different lines and we want to make sure that everybody is brought in so that people don't come at it from an adversarial place. You know, it's, it's, it's understanding how a workplace dynamics a little bit. Uh, and then kind of instead of, instead of throwing this at a, uh, at a film editor or a political editor, and I keep using political editor just as a, as a for, for instance, in this case, um, you want to bring them on board and, and, and let them help you be the champion for the film. You know, like give somebody a chance to see it first. They've discovered it. They now get to, to tell people about it. So are you saying that like you might hurt the film critics feelings if you told a political reporter about the movie and not the film critic? If you give a reporter a scoop uh, on, on any topic, you are, by definition, not giving somebody else that scoop. So you have to make sure that you're being uh, purposeful and inclusive and strategic when you're, when you're making those decisions. Um, okay. Yeah. A great example is uh, 
Julie and Julia, the Julia Child. I love that movie. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, right, like anybody who knows anything about Julia Child would immediately be thinking, boy, you know, like this would be fun to see in the food section of the paper or, you know, like that sort of thing. But the first step is always calling the film editor and saying, hey, this would be a great film for the food editor to get in- involved in. We would like to reach out to them. What do you think? And, and having them say, you know, like the minute they give their blessing, um, then they are, uh, then they're part of the, the ride. You know, they're, 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 be, they're being involved and, and you're not shutting them out. There's no threat there um, because I don't know how the food editor and the entertainment editor get along in the newsroom. You know, like one of them might leave their, their dishes in the, in the sink all the time and, and make the other one angry. And like, so you don't, you know, you don't want to suddenly insert yourself in the middle of that. So, so you come in with, with uh, you know, looking for some advocacy, basically. I was just going to say, this is why I, I knew it was important to seek a publicist for the film because I do not have this expertise. And I I think, let's answer the question, Morgan, first, why a film needs a publicist. Sure. Um, There are a number of... (laughs) uh, So, by and large, the, the main goal of the publicist is to let people know the film is coming, right? Like, we can't control... uh, how a critic is going to review the film. Reviews are entirely subjective. And so it's literally one person's opinion and that's going to be different than every other person's opinion. Um, But if you don't have somebody who knows how to do the research, who has the time and and is, is like dedicated to doing the research into finding out how to contact each of these critics and each of these reporters to just let them know that the film is coming and that they should take a look at it. Um, then you're going to be missing out on opportunities. Uh, certainly there are, um, you know, it's, it's, it's easy enough to look at any given city and figure out which the biggest newspaper is and figure out who the film critic is at that newspaper. Um, but so much of the film community is online. So much of the film community is, is in uh, very localized um, critics groups. And so if you're only going after... Um, the major daily in the market, you're missing 60 other outlets, 60 other people who are talking about film and who have a following uh, that knows to look to them to find out when a movie is available, what's opening this weekend, what's on Netflix now, all of that kind of stuff. People have their habits that they go to. So you want to make sure that uh, that your publicist is, is acting in that kind of megaphone capacity. Um, the other piece is uh, writing a pitch is not uh, as intuitive as people might think. Um, You've got, especially in film, you've got so much competition. Every weekend, eight, ten films are opening at least. Um, When you're in a film festival, there are 200 other films that are screening. And what are you doing to be noticed? How are you positioning yourself uh, as the uh, the one to pay attention to with you know a, a, a film critic a film section of the paper the film the entertainment uh, segment of the news does not expand and contract based on how much product is in the market it's always the same length and so how are you going to make make sure that you're included in that in that limited space um, and then the third and final thing is you never know what's going to happen with the press you never know what's going to happen in the world. Uh, 
we're in a pandemic situation right now. Um, a huge, uh, a huge part of the responsibilities of publicists right now is is crisis and and messaging through a crisis and having that um, the ability to kind of keep on reinforcing the message of the film and reminding people about it while other things are going on that are impacting coverage, impacting your ability to get the word out. So, so what, what is the message right now? Like, um, because, you know, the Grill War Freedom is not being released in theaters you know, nationwide on July 4th. So, um, I mean, they're trying to figure that out right now, right? You're trying to get into film festivals, trying to find a, a, a partner to distribute it, that sort of thing. So what, what's the message right now? So right now, that's a great question. And, and right now, the, the first step for us, the minute we came on board, was to take a look at all the materials that already existed that had been written um, by the production team and answer that question. What is our headline thought? What's our, our log line, you know, which is like a one or two sentence uh, message about what the film is? And then what's, uh, what's the broader message? What's the larger synopsis? Um, and so that's what we've spent the last week and a half-ish doing is, uh, is creating press notes, which is the, the kind of the guiding, the message guide uh, for the campaign. Um, and what that does is allows us to identify the keywords that we're going to be repeating a lot uh, and then make sure that the synopsis is the same everywhere it appears, whether it's on the website, whether it's what's going to be printed in festival booklets when, they, when, when the film is, is in a festival, uh, all of those kinds of places uh, and touch points for consumers so that no matter where they're entering the conversation, they're hearing the same message. Um, part, of, part of communications work is repetition. Um, you know, consumers need to hear a message 12 to 15 times before they even start remembering it. And that, and then you, you can move them, you know, they've got to remember you before you can move them to action. Uh, and so that's why it's important that everything be aligned and everything be the same. So let me, let me give you a specific example, which I think is fascinating. So like you said, we are working on this document. It's a working document that they did take everything that we have um, on our website or materials that I'd sent them in the past. They read all those, they watched the film, and they're trying to figure out how to synthesize what we've said and written in a better way because we do have some writing experience, but not necessarily what's needed to put our best foot forward because that's not our forte. And so they took all that and tried to figure out how can we take this product and market and package it in a way that is, um, it, you know, that entices other people to pay attention. And the thing that I thought was so interesting is what they did with our log line. If you go to our website now, and this will change, but if you go to our website now, the log line reads this. Stand by, it's coming up. All right, the log line says, the untold World War II stories of the men, women, and children of Normandy, France, who lived through German occupation, the D-Day invasion, and the liberation by Allied forces, and their efforts to never forget, which isn't horrible, but it's also not attention-grabbing necessarily, particularly in a pandemic. So the document that Morgan and his team sent me this week tweaked the log line to say this. 
Discover the untold stories of D-Day from the men, women, and children who lived through German occupation and allied liberation of Normandy, France. Powerful and deeply personal, The Girl Who Wore Freedom tells the story of an America that lived its values, instilling a pride in a country that is in danger of becoming a relic of the past. You see what they did there? That's pretty good. (laughs) It's super good. Because because they are making people stand up and be like, what do you mean by that? Right. Making people say, hmm, they really get it. You know, it was it was beautiful how they took relic of the past, which is exactly what Normandy is and wove it through that. I could never have come up with that. And it's it's the difference between um, telling somebody the facts and bringing somebody into the story that that's kind of the because the, the original logline was absolutely correct like that is uh empirically what the film is about um but uh but people already kind of general audiences are already going to know um a lot of those keywords and so you want to you want to bring them in and and by by starting out with discovering, I mean that kind of goes to what I was saying earlier about with the with the the press is is you want Americans humans love being the first to discover something. They don't want to be told what's interesting and what's cool and what's new. They want to find it themselves and then be a champion for that. Uh, and so that's kind of inviting people in to make that discovery on their own, and then they become ambassadors for you, uh, almost by accident. So. Yeah, and what I loved about the, the what they did with the logline is my first thought after I finished reading that was, ooh, what does that mean? Like, it gave a question in my mind that I was like, well, I want to see what they're talking about. And that is what you want. You know, that that is what we're paying them for, you know, <laughs> uh, this month. And it's worth every penny, in my opinion, because our, there is a lot of noise out there right now. And the people that we want to pay attention to us are varied. Ultimately, our buyers are distributors. But right now, we want to get a regular average everyday people interested in our film so they can like all of our social media because we're trying to raise those numbers. We're trying to get film festivals to pay attention to us. And right now, I hate to tell you, our story isn't the most pressing thing on everyone's minds. It's health concerns. It's racial injustice. It's, you know, politics and the world being divided. Those are the megaphones of our moment. And our film, you know, I've been thinking about this as we've been experiencing these rejections. Um, Even though people watch it and always say, this is a film for this moment in time, we need something like this. That is true. People, when they watch it, are inspired. They feel better. They're reminded of what America was when she was at her best. But I don't know that festival planners are going to choose it because it is not incendiary or intention-grabbing, necessarily. So, and also, I think, I remember I talked to Helen Patton who is General George Patton's granddaughter. And she said to me, I have to tell you what I thought about you when I first met you. I thought you were just one of these like flag waving patriotic people that, you know, 
isn't really listening. And, you know, she put me in this box because of our film title or because I wore American flag things that I don't fit in. And it took her talking to me a little bit before she realized I was more than what she just saw on the outside. And that's the same for our film. We have to somehow break through all of that going on right now. And I think I found my ace in the hole. <laughs> so Morgan, can you maybe just kind of paint a picture for us? Maybe some examples of, of like when your job is done here, what would a successful uh, publicist campaign look like for the girl who wore freedom? Like just some examples of like, yeah. wow, that worked. Yeah. Uh, well, that is a very difficult question to answer in the middle of a pandemic because everything that was true four months ago is no longer true. Uh, so, so we're kind of a little bit making it up as we go. Ideally, you know, if we were, if we were looking at, at past campaigns, uh, so right now, as everybody listening knows, the film is uh, complete and it's, and it's in the film festival phase. And so your campaign in the film festival phase becomes uh, a little bit different than, than a general, re general release um, plan. So right now, I don't want a big story in the Chicago Tribune hitting now if we're going to be in the Chicago Film Festival in October, because uh, the press is only going to cover your story once, and we want that that hit to be as close to when the public can actually engage with the film as possible. And so as we get accepted to different festivals, we shift all of our energy. Once, once we have all of our kind of guiding, governing documents, the press notes, template press releases, all of those kinds of things written, uh, we start focusing in on specific regions that cover the festivals that we're in. Um, pitching features, pitching inclusions, pitching, which it includes, so a feature is a big story uh, that focuses on uh, the film, usually because of a filmmaker, uh, some talent that's in the film, subjects of a documentary, the topic, whatever. It, it focuses, it's, it's a, an objective piece. Uh, an inclusion or a mention would be um, when a story is covering a number of titles that's in the same festival, we want to make sure that we're in that story because they can't cover all 200. Um, they'll pick out the 10 films you've got to see at this film festival. Uh, we want to position ourselves to be one of those 10. Uh, and then there are um, reviews that'll come out around the time of the festival. Once you've put your film in, the film, uh, in a film festival, uh, what's called the review embargo is lifted. Um, now that the film has been screened publicly, any reviewer can review it on their own timetable. Um, whereas when you're doing a, a campaign for a film that's not doing the film festival circuit, let's say, you know, Star Wars, big film, everybody wants to review it, but there's a trick. If, if you are a reporter and we invite you to a screening, you, by attending the screening, you agree that you're not going to review it before we say you can, uh, because we don't want secrets to get out. We don't want this city to review and this other city not to, uh, and, and to create kind of uh, uh, an imbalance in, in coverage. Uh, we want to make sure that, as I said, repetition is, is important. We want to make sure that all the reviews hit at the same time to get the biggest um, kind of cultural awareness all at the same time instead of 
dispersing it. Uh, so all of those things come into play um, with reviews. So as I say, with a film festival, you've now screened the film publicly. So everyone in that market can review it. We'd want them to review the film. Uh, if it's in a film festival, chances are we think it's pretty good and are welcoming reviews. We're not scared of reviews. <laughs> so, um, and then those reviews can help the next film festival pitch and the next and the next and the next, you know, you get kind of some independent uh, third party validators essentially to say, no, you should take a look at this film next film festival programming team uh, and, and choose it. So, uh, so to back up a little bit, our idea of success right now is to get into some of these festivals to get some features in that markets, local media, and, uh, and to get some reviews, some positive reviews, knock on wood, um, but to get some reviews so that we have a portfolio that can then go to, um, that can then be used as, as the rest of the campaign rolls out. And since we've been accepted into the first film festival that shall not be named until they an <laughs> announce it, um, mm -hmm. since it's in October, so we know that's why we're getting this jump on things now. We know that we need to get our ducks in a row. It is possible that we will be accepted into other film festivals before that one because there's a still a lot we need to hear from. But at least our messaging will have started. This is not a quick process. It takes a long time for us to compile these documents. Yep. So that's why we brought them on when we did. Yep, and going to social media, uh, which you mentioned earlier, we want to make sure that the social media team is using the same type of language that we are in, in, in the press notes. So again, it's, it's about that consistency and that reinforcement of the message. So for a film like The Girl Who Wore Freedom, how long would you generally say a campaign would run for you know a documentary film, that sort of thing? How long would you and your team be working on this? So normally, again, normally, yeah. <laughs> uh, normally we would be looking, if, if, you're, if you're putting your doc out on the festival circuit, you're usually looking at at least an eight month um, up to 18 month run doing festival uh, screenings throughout, um, just because of how the, the festival calendar works. Uh, at some point in, the, in there, the hope is that um, a distributor, that, that the filmmakers and, the, and a distributor come along uh, and they make a deal. Um, once a distributor comes in, we take a, a step back. And if that, because the distributor, as part of their agreement, takes over all marketing of the, of the, of the film. Uh, and they all have their own internal teams. We would certainly be uh, available to them if they wanted to utilize us. But if they have other agencies already, you know, at that point, it, that's when it leaves the festival phase and enters the, the general distribution phase. Um, so it's, it's, an, it's an open question, but that's, Generally, when you're starting a, a, a festival campaign, that's usually the time frame based on when all the festivals around the world are. Okay. Awesome. Well, that's very exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to reading about The Girl Who Wore Freedom in, uh, you know, USA Today. I don't know, something, right? You know, um, but, well, uh, before we wrap up, Christian, you got anything else we need to cover? Any updates? Well, I was going to say, my hope is that you will eventually read about it in the Chicago Tribune, because I really do hope we get into the Chicago Film Festival, uh, which is in uh, November or October? October? October. October. Yeah. So hopefully that will happen. Um, no, the only other thing is, you know, we still are uh, looking for people to help us 
pay Morgan's salary as well as pay our contractors that helped us make the film. So we still are looking for donations that are tax deductible. You can find that on our website. And we still have our normandystories.com. Well, the Girl Who Wore Freedom shop, which has wonderful things that people can purchase. Uh, we just put out a new blog today for the 4th of July that's really awesome. It talks about uh, Charles Shea and Marie Pascal Legrand. They have a very special relationship. She took him in as a World War II veteran, brought him over from the United States because he wasn't being cared for well here. And she's given him an amazing life. And so that's on our um, that's on our website. Came out today. So that's about it for now. And I'm looking forward to bringing you some good news next week. All right. Well, Morgan, thanks for being on the podcast. We're excited you're on the team. Thanks for having me. Um, and uh, that's it for us. So thanks everyone for listening to Documentary First, where we believe everyone has a story to tell, and you can be the one to tell it. You sure can. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Documentary First. We really appreciate your partnership with us. We can't do any of this without you. So thank you so much for listening, for donating, and for following along on our journey. If you are able to make a donation this week, we would really appreciate it. We are supported by donors who give us $100 or less, so anything helps. Also, if you're able to share the news about The Girl Who Wore Freedom with your friends and family, please do that on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or email. And sign up for our newsletter at thegirlwhowarefreedom.com. Please go to thegirlwhowarefreedom.com slash donate to make a donation today.